Good morning, everybody. It is Friday the 13th, Friday the 14th of October, 2022. I guess that's where my mind we're heading down to Massachusetts today, the Halloween capital of the world, okay, which it really just mobs up during uh, this time of year, but it's raining out. We have relatives down there, so we even have a place to park. All right, but it's always fun down there in Salem. And if you haven't checked it out, if you ever get there, Halloween and Salem, nothing like it. Today's October 14th. All right, and I've got George Thompson and Steve McCann, and both doctors, that's Dr. Thompson and Dr. McCammon, who are the as a CEO, okay, and the Director of Strategic Initiatives at the Schlechty Center, which runs the National Superintendent Superintendent's Roundtable. Steve McCammon being the president and CEO, and George, a past president and now director of strategic initiatives. And they're setting up for, as it starts today, it's a, uh, it's a meeting at the Jimmy Carter Center of the National Superintendent's Roundtable. It's called Education for Democracy. And they've got a whole bunch of superintendents coming in and speakers, and that's what we're going to talk about today, a show which we're going to archive, obviously, where we archive everything and everything we do at ace-ed.org. Please check all that out ace-ed.org, okay, and uh, that's us, the American, American Consortium for Equity in Education, all right, and so I want to get a rundown from Steve and George about what's going on at the uh, at the Jimmy Carter Center, I know they're just getting it started right now, they did invite me down there, I couldn't go, but uh, I'm happy to do these shows, and hopefully we'll do a follow-up show next Friday if we can, okay, and I've got some quacking on there, which means somebody's phone is messing us up. Let's find out if it's George or Steve. We'll start with Steve. Steve, are you there? I am. How you doing, Larry? It's good to hear I'm your good. voice. Yeah. Are you, am I coming in crystal clear to you? Absolutely. Good yeah, enough. Absolutely. And George, excellent, Steve. And George, am I okay with you? Yeah, everything's great, Larry. It's good to talk with you again. Okay, good. I mean, the phone call. Okay, because I was a little concerned. I had a little uh, feedback there a second ago, but we don't have it anymore. You guys are the best. I got to tell you, you've been running the National Superintendent's Roundtable, okay, for uh, a year now. And I just want you to give us an update. The Selecty Center's around for years, okay? You, you, you took over the Superintendent's Roundtable from Jim Harvey, our good friend, and I want to hear what's uh, happening uh, over the last year. What's your view of it before we get into this weekend? Steve. Yeah, thank you, Larry. Uh, by the way, George, uh, you, in your introduction, George taught me everything I know. So if your listeners are not impressed, they can they can blame him. Um, so uh, you know, Thanks, your timing is your timing is perfect because uh, uh, part of what I'm going to do tonight with our members that are there is do a quick uh, state of the roundtable update. And you know, things are going really well. And our your good friend and our good friend Jim Harvey is here. I had dinner with him last night, and he says hello. Well, and, I'm just going to uh, say, make know, sure you give him a big hello back. I will do that. We have 115 members, uh, and 41 are new since we took over. So That's we wonderful. feel really good about membership growth, and uh, uh, we've had just a robust year of about 30 speakers between our national conferences, our national Zoom speaker series. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a tease, and you might want to see if you can't make it this way, but our tentative plans for next summer, we're going to move the big national conference from the fall when there's so much competition to uh, looking at the summer. And our plan is to actually go to the Reagan Presidential Library in California. And and the title will be 40 Years Since a Nation at Risk. 
how have we changed? And uh, because it, next year will be the 40th anniversary, and uh, we're really going to bring in some speakers that can talk around that issue. What did a nation at risk cause to have happen? Did it set us up on a false foundation for everything that happened in the, the national perspective on public education over the past 40 years? And uh, we think it's going to be uh, really powerful. So that's at least our plan right now. But And we're having a, a good turnout. We're going to have about 50 uh, – 50 people for this conference and coming out of the that's pandemic, fabulous. that's, that's really pretty good. So, so that's, oh, that's absolutely excellent. Excellent. All superintendents, and I assume maybe some superintendent wannabes, assistant superintendents. And by the way, with Reagan presidential library is really cool. And I, the, the guy I used to know, and I assume he's still there is Tony Penny and he runs their education department. And he's just a great guy. I'll make a note okay. of that. Yeah, Tony Penny. Okay. And I actually should get back in touch with him. He, just, he hasn't been on the show in a while, so I should really get back to him. But he's a good guy. Okay. And that, and that by the way, is a, an incredible library because they actually have a, literally Air Force One there from when Reagan was president. Wow. Yeah. So you can actually we get think it'll one be... Air Force One. It's actually there. Okay. The actual, not the movie, the actual plane. It's pretty cool. Wow. Okay. That yeah, is neat cool. stuff. You'll that love it. I'm, cool. I'm going to try to get out there. I really would. I tried to get out for this one, but this one I couldn't do it. But uh, we'll do it in the future. <laughs> so I'll head to Salem this weekend. Okay. Yeah. It'll be it'll be a good time. And congrats on 50 people. And you know, Steve, while I've got you, okay, you know, you're the national superintendents roundtable, and I do a lot of work, and everybody knows AASA. This, you you know them. You work with them. You're friends. Okay, the American right. Association, uh, School Administrators, Superintendent Association. And as, as you and George were, continue to build the superintendent's roundtable from off of what Jim Harvey did over those many years, what do you see as the difference between the two organizations, the superintendent's roundtable and AASA? Because I believe, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful that the growth you're having, but you can have even more. But let's, let's position you, if I may, you versus them before we get into this weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll answer now. I'll also have George weigh in. But okay. what I would say is having I'm, – I'm a member of AASA. I reengaged. I had not yeah. been a superintendent for 10 years. But, but during most all of my superintendency, I was a member of AASA. And my, my simple take would be that AASA is the broad spectrum of all superintendents, all, all comers. It's a support organization that says no matter where you're from, no matter what, size your district no matter what your issues we are there to bring everybody together for this real big common learning base and it's yes it's about policy but it's also about uh you know grooming superintendents it's also about supporting the superintendents in all things financial to curricular etc etc the roundtable is a niche organization that is more about um you know, based on how it was formed and came out of the Danforth group, it, it's more about uh, policy and, you know, certainly has a, has a little bit of a point of view that we tend to be, uh, you know, the membership that migrates toward the roundtable tends to have a little bit of a, of a view. If you look at our newsletters, you'll see that, that uh, we have a view that really is about, you know, public education needs all the support it can, uh, which is why we saw the marriage with the Schlechty Center, because we oh, truly yeah. believe that public schools are the foundation of our, well, of our democracy, hence the title of our conference. But exactly. George, I'd have you weigh in. You, you've, been around, uh, you've been around the game even a little bit longer than I have. 
Seems impossible, but it yeah, might be well, true, George. George has been around since yeah. uh, Steve's been around since 1846. So let's see how long George has been around. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah, so I've got a I've got a, a longer perspective of, of uh, ASA than I guess, but uh, I think Steve described it properly when he said, you know, it has more of a broad spe- spectrum. Um, the way I think about it, both both perform, you know, amazing. A positive function, uh, but ASA uh, convenes thousands, <laughs> and uh, it's more of a convention right. approach, if you will. They they do have uh, you know Agreed. more personal uh, times when people come together and have the opportunity for conversation. But the the roundtable is exclusively focused on. That's why I think one of the reasons it was initially called a roundtable. We get people around the table and have some dialogue and conversation and share from one another. What can we learn from one another? from how we address the challenges uh, that we face in the role of superintendent. That was a very, that's, that's a good way to put it, King Arthur, and that, that is why it's a round table. Okay. And I'm serious because, it, it, and, and I want to say this the right way, because I love AASA. They're good friends. Okay. But they are the larger organization. Okay. And they are constantly building things and passing it down. You guys are passing it through each other. Okay. And uh, although AASA always wants the words of all its members, okay, it, it is a huge organization where you guys, you know, work to work for policy within a smaller group. I, I just wanted to make that clear. I hope I helped with that a little bit, okay? Yeah, you did. That was good. Okay, and it, it's, it's true. You know, it's it's, it's a good group, etc. Okay, so now you guys are down in Atlanta, Georgia. You're at the Jimmy Carter Center. You seem to be making a tour of presidential libraries, which, by the way, is not a bad idea. Okay, I love that. You're going to Reagan next time. Okay. Okay. And actually, it was Carter than Reagan. Okay. I just realized that. Are you going to get yeah. through all that? Are you going to go to Bush after this? So the, the, <laughs> yeah. the older? That'd be fun. Yeah. Kind of a fun we'll, way to do it. We'll go to George W. Bush next year. Yeah. That's how, we'll, that's how it yeah. almost seems like that's what we're doing, doesn't it? it, it that would really, really be fun. And there are good places, by yeah. the way. So, uh, you know, it's really cool. All right. So the the theme, okay. It's education for democracy. You've got about 50 superintendents down there, all right? And mm-hmm. I can ask the question very simply, why that theme? But I, I kind of think we all know that maybe you guys would have coalesced mm-hmm. a little bit. In my opinion, schools yeah. are under attack, okay? <laughs> democracy, if I may, is under attack, all right? Yeah. You know, the foundations, you know, and, yeah. and all of it works together. So I'll throw it over to Steve, and you throw it over to George, and go yeah. for it, Steve. Larry, you know we're opening with uh, we're opening with uh, a quote tonight from uh, and it's actually we used it in our newsletter today and I came across it and I'm going to make the point tonight that a lot of times we see these quotes and we've seen them a hundred times and we read them and we're like well isn't that nice and and when it was said it meant a lot in its context when it was said when FDR said it but I ran across this quote and it just hit me in the forehead that. Maybe this quote means more now than it even did when FDR said it based on the current context. And he said, democracy cannot succeed unless those who express their choice are prepared to choose wisely. The real safeguard of democracy, therefore, is education. I think that's more powerful today than it's been in a long, long time. And, you know, I'm also going to make the point tonight, and this is a a silly little thing, but but on my flight in uh, yesterday – and, and, and this is irregardless of people's political viewpoint, um, so I want to steer clear of that. But on my flight in yesterday, I mean, there was a TV screen in the back of every 
seat. And, you know, our democracy is really under stress right now and in challenge. And they were having the hearings yesterday while I was flying. And, of course, I found it and tuned in. And I looked around, and as far as I could see, there was one other person even remotely interested in watching it. And that person Mm. didn't even have their headphones in. They just had it on. And I'm like, how can that be Mm -hmm. with what's happening that we have such such an agnostic – citizenry. And I think education, a lot of people want to say education is the problem. I tend to want to think that education is the answer. Um, and so I think we have we have work to do. And if we don't fix, if we don't help fix the fact that democracy is under attack and build a more informed citizenry, we're going to get what we ask for. And so I think we have a, a call, a call to duty that we've always had. Phil Schlechty you know, and, and, and George Thompson, I'll say, too, George has always been a great voice of this. You know, the Schlechty Center, and in, in now, you know, certainly with what I've learned about the roundtable, has always been about the fact that we can't lose public education, not just the institution of public education, but what is it has historically meant to this country. If we lose that, we've lost our country. And I know that sounds like something you'd put on a china plate. But, uh, you know, and I'm I'm a positive I'm a positive person, but I just don't know that we've ever been under greater stress than we are right now. Well, we are under under real stress. George, you want to take that a little further if you want to, um, you know, from 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 my point of view and, and to Steve's comment about the Selective Center's long focus on. In fact, we consider our mission to save public education, but the forces that threaten public education have been at play long before, you know, this current era. Um, But like much of what is on the program for this conference, the the last five, six, seven years, these forces have accelerated, and especially since uh, the pandemic and during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and since the pandemic, it's it's apparent that uh, that those 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 shifts and those movements that threaten public education and consequently threaten democracy uh, are on steroids. You know, I, I, I got to say, so I agree with, I mean, obviously I agree with both of you. Okay. We are really under stress and I, I believe in the power of education, but educated, this is interesting. You know, we're, we want to save public education, but public education, I love your comments on this guys means different things, to different people. And I'm just, I'm just going to use this without being overly political here, but very conservative people are very concerned, all right, that education, public education is, I'm just going to say this, too liberal. I'll just use those phrases, okay? It's way too liberal for them, okay? We need these. We don't want our kids, we don't want our kids to see these books. We don't want a point of view from the teacher. We don't want to talk about race, et cetera. Okay, now I'm not saying that any of that is right, but the point is it is public education, all right? And some of the things that I just said, I see as, as quote, if I may, please take this away, I mean it's the threats, okay, to public education, yet that segment of the public sees it differently. And, you know, I'm curious, and guys, as you talk about education for democracy, this weekend, it's all your superintendent members, et cetera. Okay, how do you how do you balance something like that? I assume it's going to come up this week, but you got to balance it somehow, you know. And, and the rich districts versus poor districts. Some schools are so under resourced it's ridiculous. Others are extremely wealthy because they're in extremely wealthy communities. 
Okay, where's Steve? Help me out. Well, you know, I'll just tell you what comes to my mind as you're as you're talking. Every, everything you said is is true, and everything you said is an issue that 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 I would argue has always been there, but it really is uh, really is more prominent right now. Yeah. But yeah. When, 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 you, when, I, when I think when if I think I may, it's like Vance Vesuvius. Every so often, it does. <laughs> Exactly. When I think when I think of the things you mentioned about uh, you know critical race theory and about books and about you know book book uh, you know selection is the euphemism they use. But um, what I worry about is the very people who say we're too liberal and you know we're too uh, and and they want to want to shut down the discourse that's happening in the public sphere. If education is the place you start to do that, even those people who have the issue with what's happening are going to find that they then don't have the public space to express the concerns that they have. If you start with public education and say, we've really got to conscript things down, constrict things down, and we really got to measure just on things like desk scores, and we really got to measure on things like this, and we, we need to be less tolerant, and we need to be more homogenous then you know then i think even those people who are wanting to have that happen are going to lament 10 years down the road that we don't have a public we don't have a public square we don't have a public yeah. sphere so i think we need to fly up 30,000 feet and say what are we talking about doing here and if we lose public education as the place to bring kids get to kids together george mentioned the pandemic um you know the past two years I've known personal friends. Forget the fact that I know a lot of educators. I've known personal friends whose kids started school during the pandemic who said, oh, my God, it never hit me that my child has never been around children of other color who they've really never been around Mm -hmm. because school is the place where Mm – that mad that I call that magic happens, yeah, and kids. I think we took we took we took public school for granted. I think until we didn't have it for a couple of years, and I think we forget that it it takes care. It helps with so much that goes beyond reading, writing, and arithmetic. It, it really does, George. You want to make a comment, or should we move on? No, just a quick comment, and and to be optimistic, um, and maybe I'm naive, Please. but uh, I, I I really believe that the majority of the public is still supportive of public education and they that, are. Uh, you know the, the the those who are most critical have kind of dominated the airways and made a lot of noise and not that the criticisms aren't in some cases justified but uh, particularly parents you know well over 60 percent of parents are well satisfied with their schools and right. and don't want political yeah. groups to make decisions about curriculum um, and about other matters that have to do with the safety and well-being of children. You know, and, and you know it's amazing. You know, most, most, if I may, most pe- most people when they measure their school district are extremely happy with it. But when you ask them about yeah. public education as a whole, uh, they they are unhappy. It's it's one of right. the weird phenomena of polling and and the way people think. Okay, and it's, it's so we just have yeah. to go but on hey, Larry, and carry Larry. on with. Yeah, go ahead, please. Go. Yeah, but just before you move with the schools, it's it's also true if you ask them about their local the police department. You know, crime is a problem, but our community is safe. Yeah. Um, our community yeah. is, is 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 in trouble, but our neighborhood is doing great. Um, 
Well, that's kind of an American phenomenon, if you will. In fact, there was a book written about it called The Optimism Gap, that we're the most optimistic country in the world when it comes to our own house and our neighborhood and our own school. You know, Larry? It's it's really fascinating. Go ahead, Steve. But but just before you move on, this is just maybe an idea for a show in in the future. When I first met George Thompson, he was going around the country – uh, he and Phil both. Phil had written a book called uh, Shaking Up the Schoolhouse, and it was written at a time when a lot of these very conversations just put in different, a little bit different issues, um, and we didn't have social media going big time, but um, right. George was going around the country talking about seismic shifts within that, and I would challenge George to go back and revisit that and bring in and talk about the seismic shifts shifts of now because the schoolhouse, if it was being shaken up then, the schoolhouse is being shaken up, I think, even greater now. might be a really cool show to just have George come back on and talk about the seismic shifts and what we've learned and maybe maybe go back to at that time. That was 20 years ago. And it's just amazing that, you know, those same conversations are happening now. It, to George's yeah. point, now you go on Twitter, and if a handful of people are saying it, that that relatively small Twitter sphere is dictating the conversation. It's it's pretty amazing. It's it's pretty amazing, George. You know, you're always welcome here. Okay, and we can set that show up anytime. Okay, you are always welcome here, my friend. Okay. For some reason, I'm getting this ridiculous feedback. I hope it's not annoying to too many people, or maybe other people can hear it. I don't know. I want to go over a little bit of the agenda for today's and tomorrow's meeting that you guys are having again down at the in Atlanta at Jimmy Carter Center. Okay. And uh, I, I guess I'll go to Steve again, and you can pass to George. The speakers you're having. Okay. Let me run down that quick list, and and just talk about how you're using those speakers. And the, the goal, what we, you know, we can have a big thing, thing like ed, education for democracy, okay? But you, you 50 superintendents are not going to change the world by, uh, by Sunday afternoon. What is the goal, okay, of, of the conference? And who's, who's, you know, who are the speakers you, you joined in with to, to make it all happen? That was a long way of saying a very simple sentence, but you get the point. Go ahead, Steve. Tell you what, I'm, I'm going to run through them, and then uh, I'll come back and have George. Uh, I especially want George to talk about one of the speakers in particular because they're, they're all incredible speakers, but I think there's one speaker in particular we've invited that just gets to the heart of the matter with numbers and with a real, a real unbiased view of here's what's happening and here's what the numbers tell us. And I'll, George has a, has a little more in-depth of knowledge of this person. But real quickly, cool. Valerie Strauss, of course. Uh, Washington Post education writer. Yep. Um, she's going she's to come and she's going to talk about our faltering democracy. And from a national and international perspective, our view with her was how could she be a filter for us about what really pe- what we're hearing about there about this business that we're in called public education? What is she hearing at the forefront of what are the trends and patterns of what's happening with public education? And so. Uh, we think she's a well-respected person, and the thing we like about Valerie Strauss is she does. She's not just a public school advocate. She also talks about the ills, and kind of slaps us in the forehead when we really need to look at what we're doing. And I've always liked that about reading, you know, her, uh, you know, uh, her pieces. Um, and, and I'm going to come back and let George talk a little bit more about Jim Johnson, um, and uh, but he's a he's a distinguished demographer and. Uh, 
Um, hmm. Again, I'm going to come back and let George talk about him because I, okay. I think what he has to say. We gave him the most time on the agenda because we think what he has to share is just ripped from the headlines. Um, we are going to have Leslie Fenwick. She was the uh, former dean uh, and professor at Howard University School of Education, and her topic is going to be the co-joined goals of racial and educational equity. So it gets a little bit to – I think sometimes we sometimes we throw out these power terms like CRT and we get everybody all up in arms about, oh, what this is and what it isn't. And a lot of people don't even have a basic understanding. of. And sometimes right. it is – sometimes there are things that push the limit. Sometimes there are things that are just about teaching our history. And I think people like Leslie Fenwick help us understand <clears throat> also – the power of some of these these ways we phrase things, and she really talks about what does equity in education look like, and I think it's going to be powerful. Uh, Jennifer Berkshire and Jack Schneider, co-authors of A Wolf at the Schoolhouse Door. Uh, you can read an awful lot into that title, and yes, if you have yeah. the book, it is what it is, that there is a wolf at the schoolhouse door. Public education is in some peril. Um, and uh, those are our uh, speakers, and uh, we're, we're really, really excited about that lineup, and we think it's a really nice balance of different filters. You ask what our goal was. It's to bring yeah. to our members different filters of thinking about what's happening in public education with an overarching theme that education is important for democracy, democracy to survive. What are those threats? What can we think about doing about it? And what's the reality? To George's point, we can't, but we can't just take the assumption that, oh, my gosh, p- public education is, is under the gun because we're doing a horrible job. That's not true, and that's not what the public right. feels. But how do we really get those filters to, to our leaders that are there some areas we need to consider? Yes, but how do, we, how do we converse better about what public education is and isn't and what its true goals are? So, George, I would, I would ask you to talk a little bit more about Jim Johnson. George is going to facilitate that piece. Uh, for us uh, tomorrow, anyway. Yeah, and I'll just read off your sure. uh, off your booklet here. Hold on, yeah. George. J- James Johnson is the William R. Keenan Jr. Distinguished Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at, and Director of the Urban Investment Strategies Center. Okay, I don't know. Is he is he professor somewhere too, George? What all that Where, means is he's, he received the highest, most prestigious award at the uh, business school at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Okay, UNC, good school, James Johnson. Okay, tell us about him. Okay, and what he's going to talk about. I'll just read this. Education alert. This is the title of his speech. Uh, Gale force demographic wind gusts ahead. Okay, a little weather forecast. Okay, and not good if you're sailing. Okay, what's he talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's – what he's talking about is uh, those seismic shifts that we talked about earlier. And – Except he's going to kind of approach it from uh, uh, sharing what what he sees and and his experience and his team's experience and really looking at demographics and demographic shifts, which is, you know, what he does and has done for a living for a long time. His current work is around researching strategies to combat hyper-segregation, persistent and concentrated poverty, gentrification, Mm. uh, economic dislocations, et cetera, and so on. And so – it, what's I think so important, and we really have to believe at the Swakey Center that if you don't understand demographics, you don't understand the future. You got to understand demographics, right? Uh, because they have Agreed. such a profound impact. And so, 
Um, what he's going to address are those uh, demographic shifts that have been at play for a long time, um, and you know such things as um, slowing white population, um, um, slowing total farm-born population, uh, declining fertility, and those types of things. But he's also going to address those that are more recent and can be attributed to uh, the COVID years and maybe the few years previous to COVID. Um, the deaths of despair, which really had to do with the increasing death rate because of the opiate uh, crisis and, and oh other yeah. uh, uh, drug uh, dependencies that are a result of some things that are going on. About involuntary retirements, uh, particularly of uh, those that are 55 and older who were disrupted from the workplace uh, during COVID, uh, declining female labor force participation. Um, uh, which has created a major demographic depression. Um, and his, his, his message is if we have failed to address these issues, and he's not just talking about educators. In fact, he, his audience is usually CEOs of and business community people. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but we have also had him in the past address superintendents as well, and it's not uh, hard to, to make the connections. But uh, the impact of these shifts on talent recruitment and development – uh, on retention of staff, uh, on business competitiveness, um, and being able to function in an increasingly diverse global marketplace is really uh, in the, what he wants to heighten the awareness of how these factors uh, impact those uh, those issues. And so he he uh, he's going to share that data and information, but he does it in a way that it's not like you're listening to a bunch of research. You know, he tells a lot of personal stories and he makes connections for folks. Mm-hmm. And he's very passionate about public education, and uh, we think the superintendents are going to really enjoy listening to him. Well, of course, they're going to enjoy listening to him. And, you know, a question arises. You said he talks to CEOs and that kind of people all the time. Those people, okay, are in business, okay? Even if they're political leaders, they're in business of getting their particular people elected, okay? And, you know, they they easily, not easily, but they can make shifts according to – you know, maybe not make baby formula, make us make uh, make adult diapers instead, if that's the way the uh, the demographics are going. Okay, but school right. districts, yeah, school districts are different. Okay, they're a public function. All right, that ha- that that basically is a bureaucracy, if I may, that has to change. That can, can, are, are we hoping to see really good change happen? In, from from the ground up, is that do you think that's part of his goal? Is if we're aware of this, we can really start to make a change and, and change change the paradigm out there. Is that what you think we're looking for? Yeah, George? I think so. I think you put it really really well. Um, and in fact, it's it's ironic. You actually are you're asking a question that I'm going to ask him. Steve <laughs> asked me if I would get the question Sorry. and answer session yeah. started afterwards. One of the questions I want to ask him is, so um, when you address these powerful, you know, business people, you know, uh, do they feel powerful or are they powerless? Because, you know, wow. are they having impact on the current conversa- conversation? And so if they're struggling with it, then I'm, I'm curious, you know, if you look at it from the challenge of a superintendent. You know, a superintendent works for a board that's elected. Sometimes the people that are elected are people that don't want the superintendents to talk about these issues. And at least in the corporate sector, they've got some protection and safety that they could have more of a voice in helping to impact. For example, uh, the lack of affordable child care is a huge issue that he's going to talk about. 
that that laces through all of these demographic shifts, and um, and and this is a, a an issue that the, the U.S. ought to address, and it's a major oh, absolutely. issue. There's a, just so you know, there's a big article in the New York Times uh, yesterday and today on my digital edition about just that, how child care is becoming unaffordable because all the people who were in child care over the pandemic years, many of them left for better paying jobs, which leaves child care unattended. Okay. And so the, the rates have gone up. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's in the New York Times today. Yeah. It's exactly what you're talking and about. And so, yeah. And, and so where's the business, where's the business, where is the business community in terms of having a voice and, and impacting policy issues that address that in the same way that we should ask, where's the superintendent's voice in addressing yep. policy issues that affect. Yep. Uh, but sometimes superintendent's voice gets neutered because sometimes they might have not all, but might have a board of education that might not want them talking about those issues in the larger. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting being the manager of what is normally the largest employer in the area. Okay. A monopoly and the bureaucracy, which is publicly run. Think about it. Okay. It's pretty yeah. amazing how, how you manage to get stuff done. That's exactly what you guys are doing. <laughs> You both of you have fun, okay, down there. Get yourselves a varsity hot dog while you're in Atlanta. Whatever you whatever you do, and this is key. This is key. I am originally from Philadelphia, so remember we don't want the Braves to win the series. Okay, they're playing no, the no, no, right no. now. Keep that in mind. You might yeah, want to need, buy you might need. you might both want to purchase a little Phillies hat, which you could probably get overnight yeah. from Okay, just, yeah. just a thought. You need to extend the show 15 minutes on that one. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I will trade you a varsity hot. I will trade you a varsity hot dog for a Reds uh, lobster roll. Well, that, 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 you got a case, pal. Okay, we're talking about many, 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 many varsity hot dog rolls, hot dogs compared to a lobster roll. Okay, well, we'll have yeah, a later, later date. Both of you guys have a great time at a great conference down there. Okay, you guys Thanks, are the Larry. best, and hopefully we'll do a follow-up show next Friday. If we can work that yeah, out, I'll send you the stuff, George. We're going to work uh, that Excuse out. me, Steve. Yeah, so I hope so. All right, I got to reserve yep, for you. Both of you, have fun, okay, and thank you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks. Good okay. talking. Thank Be you. Be good, Bye-bye. guys. Happy weekend. Bye-bye. Okay, Be everybody. Yep. See you, George. See you, Steve. Okay. And, uh, okay, Steve McCann, George Thompson, SchlechtyCenter.org, SchlechtyCenter.org, Phil Schlechty's old group, all right? And uh, it's going to be a good meeting this week. Okay, so I'm glad we're able to do that show. We're going to archive, like we archive everything. Everything we do is at ace-ed.org, everybody. Have a good weekend. And I'm not going to trade him a lobster roll for a varsity hot dog. Talk to you later. <laughs>